today on Ag News Daily. We did not have, um, unlike in 2008, we, we, where we had a lot of demand destruction uh, due to fertilizer prices, uh, we did not have the same thing here. Listeners, April 26, 2023, we're sitting here on Wednesday for the edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney, not in the same state, right, Delaney? No, I'm heading down to NAMA, which is an agri-marketing conference to talk about all things digital, what's come down the pipeline as far as ways to get in front of farmers and all that good stuff, Tanner. So if I have any interesting tidbits, I'll be sure to share them with our listeners, but I was listening to an interesting tidbit this morning. That was a Farm for Profit podcast with Jesse Scott, the new editor-in-chief at Successful Farming. I really enjoyed that episode, Tanner. Well, thank you. We uh, we really enjoyed recording with her. Obviously, we kind of got got to her right away into her new role. So congratulations to her as editor-in-chief. And uh, she was an easy guest. She was definitely one of those that... Um, has a fantastic story to tell and a lot of value to add to the episode. So it was a good one. It was a good one. I, I agree. But any good news for our listeners today? I got a couple of messages yesterday, actually directly from listeners. So I want to get those uh, out into the open first. We've got friends in Texas that got some much needed rain. So congratulations to uh, those folks down there. A lot of positive attitudes uh, down in that portion of the country. And then a little bit of a cry for help. Let's see if I can pull this message back up. Uh, we have a listener that has been battling drought and has a cow-calf herd, 150 pairs of cows that are looking for grass. They're willing to travel. They have the ability to truck these animals. Uh, they'd like to stay within 500 miles of Palco, Kansas. So if we've got any listeners out there that have ties to grass, or the ability to house some pears. They do not have to keep all the pears in the same spot. So if 150 doesn't fit your pasture or grass that you have available for rent, we do have a listener there. So Delaney will have them reach out to Ag News Daily or they can find me at Iowa Bankerman. Just a couple of listener messages there that were good to receive. Unfortunately, one is looking for help, but the other is very thankful for rain. So to hit a little weather here, we've got cold temps one more time this week. Uh, Southeast Iowa, Northern Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio are all under freeze watches or warnings. Uh, the freeze watch in Ohio is the one that could get to be the most severe. And then like we discussed, uh, you look at that drought region of Kansas, a significant portion of the area south of the Kansas border got rain. Otherwise, we're still looking for dry and red flag warnings in those areas. Well, Tanner, this is a story I missed on Monday, but Tyson Foods has closed a processing pork processing plant in Nebraska after a fire and they're going to have to be sending their pigs elsewhere. This facility in Nebraska had a fire and officials officially closed the facility on Monday. They're shipping pigs to other plants to seek any disruption to the U.S. production, pork production, and try not to get any hogs backed up. The facility is in Madison, Nebraska, and they said they don't have a true expectation quite yet as far as how long it's going to take to repair the damage from the fire. Still assessing that, it sounds like. But the plant has about 100 
excuse me, 1,200 employees and normally operates one shift a day to process pigs, typically slaughtering about 8,200 hogs a day. So not a large processing facility compared to some of the other ones, but definitely a fairly large facility represents about 2% of the U.S. daily hog slaughter in the United States. So that certainly uh, could be a little kick to the markets here as we look at trying to get that facility back online and trying to figure out logistically, where do they send those pigs if they can't process them? Yeah, that almost reminds you a little bit of how COVID hit and plants were shut down as far as capacity goes. But as we continue to rebuild and look at the consumer confidence index, we did see consumer confidence fall three points in April. According to the publisher of the index, the conference board, this is the lowest score since last July, even though the assessment was still largely favorable. The trend downward was certainly one that is catching the attention of those predicting market falls. The expectations fell and now remain below the level in which signals are for a recession coming in the short term. According to the report, 13.5% of all consumers expect business conditions to improve in the next six months. That's down from 16.4. So furthermore, 21.5% expect business conditions to get worse, and that was up 19.2. So a swing there, 3% of them feeling less excited about conditions improving, all moved into the conditions worsening category. In the short term, labor market outlook looks that 21% of respondents anticipate fewer jobs to be available in the next six months. That is up from the last month, a half a percent. The expectations are more concerning as when you look at the future projections index, the report says that 15.7% of consumers expect their income to increase. That's down and is alarming because there was an 11% increase in the category that expects their income to decrease. So a lot of increase, decrease words in that, Delaney. Ultimately, the summarization of this report is trending poorly, and it looks like uh, it is pointing that tip of the needle towards a pending recession sooner rather than later. Well, of course, one factor that uh, really could be playing into the whole global recession is, is, of course, the Russia-Ukraine situation. Got some fresh news here. Yesterday afternoon, a proposal was presented by the United Nations chief on improving and extending the deal, a safe deal, mind you, in the Black Sea region. This new proposal, he said, was a way forward aimed at improvement, extension and expansion. He said that Ukraine is going to continue to follow the agreements with Turkey and the U.N. and will continue to deliver cargoes, grain cargoes to their destination to try and solve global food supply. But the Kremlin on Tuesday, Tanner, said that the global shortfall of food supplies was not primarily attributable to the lack of Russian and grain on the market. They said this grain corridor deal has nothing to do with the global food supply shortfall that we're seeing worldwide. And we know that's simply not the case. So interesting statement there made by the Kremlin. Yeah, that is. Uh, just to stay on that side of the pond, it looked like uh, Chinese foreign ministry created a uh, 
statement that they plan to visit Ukraine. We also saw yesterday that Chinese President Xi spoke with Zelensky. This is the first time that they had spoken since uh, Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Stated it was over a phone call. Uh, Zelensky said, I had a long and meaningful phone call with President Xi. I believe that this call is well as the appointment of Ukraine's ambassador to China will give a power, powerful impetus to the development of bilateral relations. Uh, the phone call exchanged views on the Ukrainian crisis, Xi reaffirming China's support for peace talks, not stating that they would take one side or the other, which, like I said, led right into the discussion of uh, the appointment of that ambassador. So uh, Li is the former Chinese ambassador to Russia, who served in this post for more than 10 years, will be the facilitator that will help move in uh, the ambassador from Ukraine to China to continue to boost those relations. And one little quick headline, it did get an announcement out of Wimbledon. So if we have any listeners that are tennis fans, that Wimbledon itself will cover the accommodation costs for any Ukrainian tennis players looking to compete. So it's kind of a nice little gesture there. Alexander, we have yet again another strike going on in Argentina. Indefinite timeline on when this is going to end, but a union of Argentine transporters started a strike on Monday, threatening to hit shipments at the Rosario grain ports by forcing exporters to rely on dwindling grain reserves at the terminal, according to local officials in the province of Santa Fe, where Rosario terminals are located. And I've been to these. So it's, it's really interesting that this is happening now. Transporters prevented the passage of trucks carrying grains and practically paralyzed the entry of vehicles into this port. This port, Tanner, uh, supplies about 80% of grain transportation out of the country. So this is going to be a big deal here to see how long this thing lasts. As far as their demands being made, we don't have official word as to what those demands are, uh, but they said that the their demands need to be addressed with the government or they will continue to strike indefinitely. So still trying to get a good word here on what exactly it is they're striking for. I'm assuming it's probably related to worker rights, uh, pay, health care, etc. Uh, still trying to figure out exactly what it is they're striking over. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And we'll keep everybody updated there. Uh, plenty of recalls have come out in this week. Of course, there's uh, some with Ram pickups and their fuel modules for 2021 and beyond. Michelin is the latest to announce a recall for a couple of their tire products. These Michelin products were recalled. Nearly 550,000 truck Michelin tires have been recalled, specifically the Agilis Cross Climate C metrics. So take a look at your vehicles to see if those are on there. These are not due to a disastrous implication, but more due to the testing being done at the wrong tire pressure, Delaney. So as you take a look at your vehicles, uh, there is contact information out there for uh, Michelin itself. As stated, Ram also is put out a couple of recalls, but uh, we will continue to monitor that as well. We also see that the Congressional Budget Office has uh, the Farm Bill still on its sites. 
Then we're looking here at baseline spending for ag research to take up 1.3 billion of the nearly 710 billion in farm dollars. So this is a big dollar amount, but a small portion. So Delaney, we're seeing a lot of uh, connection to the House and Senate Ag Committees receiving letters from these 340 different stakeholders to plead for a larger portion of that bill to be for ag research and infrastructure. So we'll continue to watch that. But many of these 340 ag groups are associations and land grant universities, including Iowa State University here in Ames. They're looking to provide an avenue to advance technology and agriculture a lot faster. Of course, we also saw that Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor, is announcing a $40 million investment into Iowa State's Iowa State University's Veterinary and Diagnostics Lab to continue to provide a leading example as to rebuilding the infrastructure for agriculture. So we'll continue to watch here to see if any of these letters are considered as the Farm Bill gets discussed. Well, Tanner, that was a big point of contention last week in D.C. because, as we know, a lot of legislators have indicated that these ad hoc programs such as the MFP, CFAP, et cetera, and even just disaster aid programs that are not covered by the Farm Bill, there needs to be a way to include those in the Farm Bill so they know the budget going into it. But when asked and pressed, hey, where is this extra budget going to come from? Because we know this is the largest Farm Bill budget that's ever been presented. There aren't a lot of answers, so we'll definitely be sharing some comments from legislators about those comments in the coming podcasts here. But aside from market center, I'm all out of news for today. What about you? Uh, that's pretty much it. I just had one more headline relating to the farm bill, uh, how possibly the debt ceiling discussions that are happening right now might spill into what that plan looks like. The White House on Tuesday officially declared that Biden would veto the House's bill, the Limit, Save, Grow Act, if it reaches his desk, though the Senate Democrats have also made it clear that the bill is not going to get a vote in their chamber either. The House bill would force across-the-board spending cuts to domestic programs in return for raising the national's debt ceiling or the nation's debt ceiling. Uh, the bill would tighten work requirements for federal food aid, but also roll back tax credits for a long list of renewable energy programs. So uh, this bill may not make it very far, but it's something I wanted to share with the listeners. We'll continue to watch to see if it progresses any further. Fantastic. Well, Tanner, watching the markets today, Tuesday, we saw Chicago wheat hit fresh lows, 21 month lows after we saw some U.S. rains hit part of the U.S. plains, and we're still seeing interesting controversy going on in Russia, Ukraine. But here we are Wednesday morning heading into opening session, and grains are getting a little bit of a pop here today. May old crop corn up three and a half cents, opening at 650. Old crop, or excuse me, new crop corn down a penny will open here this morning at 547 and a quarter. May soybeans added three cents in the overnight to open at 14.48 and a quarter. November, new crop beans up just three quarters of a cent here to open at 12.66 and three quarters. May hard red winter wheat down three and a half cents in the overnight to open at 8.14 and three quarters. And a quick refresher, where livestock ended yesterday, June live cattle down 52 and a half cents at a buck 64.02 and a half. May feeders will open a dollar thirty-two and a half lower at two oh nine forty-two and a half, and May lean hawks 
82 and a half cents lower at 76, 87 and a half. Tanner, bringing our listeners a conversation I had last week in DC with Kathy Mathers of the National Fertilizer Institute. Fertilizer is also a top issue here in 2023. As we look at price stability, we've started to see prices come back down the other direction, which I'm sure producers appreciate, especially as we head into spring planting season. Catching up today with Kathy Mathers, the Vice President of Public Affairs for the Fertilizer Institute. Kathy, the outlook here for 2023 is looking a little rosier than it was this time last year. Yes, uh, prices have definitely come down, depending on the nutrient. Um, came down, started to come down in October of last year, and um, and and then have sort of, I wouldn't say bottomed out, but you know hit a, a low. Um, couple weeks ago they've spiked up a bit in the in the last week or so um, mar- largely due to some supply chain issues that were um, that we're experiencing yeah let's talk a little bit more about supply chain issues because a lot of headlines lately have made it sound like it's not necessarily that there won't be supplies available it's just whether or not your area is available to get those supplies logistically yes uh, we are a global market and you know even when prices go down that means you know we're still going to get some of our fertilizer from imported sources and there are you know time delays and expenses associated with that transport of those products and so that um, as growers think about making decisions uh, those decisions ought to be informed by um, understanding that they do need to give a little lead time to the retailer who's going to purchase those products and um, ensure that they don't but they really hit that sweet spot between um, waiting it out and waiting too long. Do you see a certain geographic location or specific fertilizer product right now that is a little more exacerbated than others? Not really, although, um, you know, I really couldn't nail it down to a single nutrient, I would say, you know, or even a geographical area. Um, I would say that those... um, Growers, nor- the further north you go, and the later you are going to be planting, of course, that you know you will have additional pressure on on, on the system, probably. Kathy, when you look at 23, did we see any large shifts in demand or application of farmers this year? As you think about fall. Fall, fall application, price application, etc. We did not have, um, unlike in 2008, we, we, where we had a lot of demand destruction uh, due to fertilizer prices, uh, we did not have the same thing here. Uh, largely, I think, because commodity prices were relatively high. And so although growers were paying a lot for fertilizer, they were also getting a, um, a good return on their, on their, um, their products. So, uh, you know, they're really... Yeah, we really haven't had that demand destruction. There hasn't been, uh, and the U.S. is a fairly um, level fertilizer market, so we don't have huge spikes in terms of of how much demand is. Um, We are seeing some additional demand on the for the um, products like biostimulants and some of those other products that are sort of um, like what we consider to be like almost like boosters for the fertilizer. It's interesting, yeah, you mentioned biostimulants because that's been a hot topic. And, you know, I think about Commodity Classic the last couple of years. That's been a big showcase on the main stage of talking about biostimulants and biofertilizers. How do you see that fitting into the fertilizer space? Is that something you guys are working closely with? 
Uh, yes, we are. Um, you know, we know that uh, retailers and, uh, and of course, their grower customers really want to know more about biostimulants. What's snake oil and what's real and, um, and not only what's real, but what's real for my particular situation. And so uh, we are putting together, we're working with uh, state regulators um, and the biostimulant industry uh, companies to put together a um, certification and labeling program uh, that will essentially provide in a clearinghouse for um, retailers and growers to determine whether, you know, what the efficacy and, and content of the products are. So there is a little bit of a more level playing field there. So with the certification and labeling, will it be... Explain explain that model a little bit, and maybe it's too soon to tell, but explain that model a little bit more if you can. Yeah, I would say it's, I, I wouldn't put it as a, this is not a, it's guaranteed to perform. It's more of a, here are the claims that are made, here's the science behind those claims, and if those two match up, then you can have a label, and also then that that information, that scientific information, will then be available for review. So it's it's mostly... Many of the companies are already doing that, but it provides a central clearinghouse for that. And a standardization amongst all the, the biosimulants in the space to have one unified standard so growers know what they're looking at. Exactly. You've got it right on the head. Awesome. So as you look at other issues uh, coming out down the pipeline for 2023, I feel we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the global challenges we're still facing with Russia and Ukraine and the Grain Sea Corridor deal. What's your outlook right now if we don't see a deal extended? Because we keep seeing 60 days and 60 days and maybe 120 if we're lucky to work that in there. But what's your outlook here for fertilizer just stability-wise due to that area? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, Russia is because, although the grain situation in Russia is one thing, the fertilizer is a little bit different um, in terms of the fact that there there aren't sanctions on fertilizer, but there is a, um, there's sort of a, a wariness in the, in the, amongst some of the international buyers to go there. Um, that said, others are are going there and picking that up, so that, that supply is actually being absorbed elsewhere in the market. Um, so any uncertainty is a big thing. And, of course, as that impacts, as we have barges that can't move, as we have, you know, uh, ships that can't move or get rerouted, that's a, that, that could be a big issue for us. Um, you know, we're highly, highly global market and very much dependent on. Even just, you know, we've been watching natural gas prices for so long and of course that has a direct impact in fertilizer too so it really is a world market that has an impact on this thing but when you look at 2023 price outlook producers always want to know should i be locking in my fertilizer this year in 23 for next year or should i be waiting till 24 to make those choices i wish i knew um and i don't uh but i would say that you know, the best way the best insurance growers have on the fertilizer price scenario would be to work with their retailer and be you know throughout the winter or throughout the the months where where not much is happening in the field talking to your retailer because your retailer is going to be talking to producers probably talking to importers and um, and others in the global market and they'll have a better sense you know because it really it's going to be somewhat locale driven somewhat crop driven um, and that's probably the best advice I would give Kathy any other issues in 2023 that our producers need to be aware of 
No, I think you've uh, you've really hit on it, and um, totally appreciate you coming by. Thanks for doing that, Delaney. Uh, good conversation with Kathy. Appreciate that as always. It's kind of fun to almost travel along with you as you make these trips. Well, thank you. I'd like to think I bring back some good perspective for our listeners and happy to take their questions if they have any. Or like Tanner mentioned earlier at the podcast, had a couple of listeners looking for some assistance. So shoot us a note anytime with comments, questions, or things you need from us as a podcast hosts. Find us on Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 